Hi there, I'm Lauren Fates, and I'm a Pisces. And I'm Jamie Sanchez, Gemini all the way. Are you ready for the beat? I'm ready for the beat. Welcome back to another episode of the Bebop Beat. Listeners, today we have a jam-packed episode talking about Boogie Woogie Feng Shui with special guests. But first, some announcements. Did you know, Lauren, that Yaya Han, famous cosplayer here in the United States, is now promoting the Super Groupies Bebop merch sale? No, I didn't know that. I remember her cosplaying, I think, Faye Valentine like a long, long, long time ago, but I didn't know she got this gig. I'm not certain if she revived the Faye gig for this special photo shoot, but I came across a tweet that is definitely promoting both her and Super Groupies, and they're like, bye, 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 here, 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 now, now, now. Refresh my memory, which products are these? Super Groupies is best known for creating merch that's more in line with like adults going to work, really beautiful handcrafted-like items such as wallets, bags, watches, etc., I'm like really stoked about the bag. There is a link to purchase as a non-Japanese resident that makes it very easy uh, to just kind of check out in an English shopping cart fashion. So I might be losing all my money soon. (laughs) Yaya Han is all over still, and she has been really hot for years. Our former podcast guest, Lauren Orsini, recently wrote an article called All Dressed Up with Nowhere to Go about cosplay during the pandemic, and Yaya features in that. And I have a couple of Yaya's patterns, cosplay patterns, in my sewing box right now. My partner and I tried really hard to make uh, boot covers and gloves, and I'm just not really confident in the homemade patterns we made. So I bought Yaya's stuff as a backup. It's really nice and beginner friendly. I'm definitely seeing some benefits to this kind of collaboration. And I'd expect more cosplayers to do this kind of joint promotional thing between Japanese producers of merch and Western audiences and cosplayers to get the word out for these things. And another piece of news, the Blade Runner Black Lotus trailer dropped this week. And fans of Blade Runner will be really excited to know that Watanabe is serving as a creative producer on this work. It definitely has all the vibes of Blade Runner. I was super stoked when uh, 2049 came around. You know, that film with that very, very handsome Ryan Gosling. And uh, it was served by a prequel or like a promotional animation or OVA called Blade Runner Blackout 2022, which Shinichiro Watanabe himself actually directed. So if anyone is super excited about this production, Crunchyroll and Adult Swim are co-producing it. Pull up the trailer, look at it. It's got all of the beautiful environments that you come to expect of the franchise. I would say the character designs are a little too cartoony for me, but I'm still going to tune in regardless. I have a terrible confession to make, and it's that I've never seen Blade Runner. (laughs) Uh, Rescind my geek card. Take it away. It's fine. It's what I deserve. As someone who loves Blade Runner and really appreciated the anime adaptation of it, geez, you got to watch this, Lauren. It's, It's Bebop. Watanabe so very much loves Blade Runner and it shows in this sci fi series and it shows in his other works. And, like, I don't know. I don't know, Lauren. It hurts. I was about to offer, like, let's the three of us, you, me, and Angela, get together and watch it. And I guess that's still on the table, but I'm notoriously bad at watching movies. I either am distracted and looking at my phone, and then I have to be like, well, what happened? Who is that? When I just wasn't paying attention, or I fall asleep. And so it's like, which which terrible movie patron of me do you want? Distracted or unconscious? <laughs> Oh, no. (laughs) Fully attentive alert, Lauren, please. Well, she's not invited. She's off the table. (laughs) (laughs) One last announcement before we go. The first few episodes of the new show Sunny Boy dropped uh, that is created by Madhouse, which is also known for Black Lagoon, Paprika, Trigon, and among other works in their 48-year history. 
The reason this is important is because Watanabe is also on this show as a musical creative. Like he's being consulted to soundtrack this series. So I did get to watch the first episode. It lacked a lot of music. To be honest, I didn't know what I was going to expect of it, but it was a very ambitious project. Just up one, it's very beautiful. And then the music that did happen uh, to appear in the later end of the episode was just perfectly matched. Where did you watch it? Where can people find this? You can watch Sunny Boy on Hulu right now. And it appears that only three episodes are available. I'm really hyped for it. I really hope other people who are keeping up with this anime season are also hyped too. I I like having you around for many reasons, but one of them is that you're still just actively engaged in anime. Cowboy Bebop's like the only anime that I'm watching right now, (laughs) exclusively for this show. So let's get into the one episode of anime I watched this week, which was Boogie Woogie Feng Shui. This episode, I'm not going to say is like notoriously bad because it's not bad. But when I Googled Boogie Woogie Feng Shui to just see what was out there in fandom opinion, the top Reddit thread and the top Google search result overall was what is the worst episode of Cowboy Bebop and why is it Boogie Woogie Feng Shui? Oh, no. (laughs) You know, before we dive into the thick of it, I did want to say that this episode, I also wondered why it was added here. And I think through the rewatch, I get a better sense of contextually why this story made it into our whole of the 26 episodes and why it was placed where it was. So we should probably introduce our guest now, yeah? Yeah, Boogie Woogie Feng Shui is a unique episode in that it gives our sci-fi universe an opportunity to introduce spirituality and mysticism and some real interesting cultural touch points that don't make it anywhere else in the anime. So we were really trying to brainstorm what kind of person did we want to talk to, what sort of expert could we bring on. And I thought of my former coworker and now friend, Sarah Pickett. Sarah is an astrologer, and she brings with her today her fiancé as a cultural consultant. Please welcome Sarah Pickett and Mario Solis. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Hey, hey. Um, I want to very quickly tell the story about how I was reunited with Sarah, because I think it's hilarious and very fun. So Sarah and I used to work together at a science museum here in Chicago. Previous life of mine, you know, going on a decade ago at this point, if not more. And went our separate ways. Like we didn't work there anymore. We didn't really talk after that. And after my divorce, I was looking for some new hobbies and I signed up for a tarot reading class. Just intro to tarot, fun and easy tarot, whatever it was called. And it was an online class because it was during the pandemic. And when the Zoom camera came on, I saw my former coworker, Sarah, and she was my teacher. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw your name as the person who signed up. And I was like, I know who that is. <laughs> and what was funny was there was one other student on the class and we were We spent the first five minutes kind of catching up and she was like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, that student left early because she wasn't in it for herself. Uh, Kind of relevant to this episode of Bebop, she had a daughter and she was just trying to get closer to her daughter, who is apparently really into tarot. And she was like, I think I got it. Thanks for the class. And she just dipped like halfway through. (laughs) Very accurate. Very accurate representation. I'm not going to say advertise or market. Those words are too strong. But I refer to myself as a tarot reader who doesn't believe in that sort of thing. Uh, I see tarot from a very positive and optimistic but also skeptical place. I think it's a great tool to start dialogue with people, to have people open up to you. And you are just at a completely different level with this world. You have like a career you have made out of understanding these things and teaching them to other people. So tell us a little bit about your business. Uh, Yeah. So I'm an astrologer first and foremost. So I both read charts and I teach astrology. It's um, 
starting to become really, really popular um, in today's society. You see more and more people who know not just what their sun sign is, but what their moon sign is, what their ascendant sign is, and like are really having interesting conversations with each other on uh, a higher level about astrology. So I kind of lucked into it, had an interesting time for astrology in general, a, a sort of a astrological renaissance. Not long ago, I learned how astrology and tarot overlap. And what was really cool was that I deepened my knowledge about astrology through tarot and I deepened my knowledge about tarot through astrology. And now um, I have an intimate knowledge of both uh, through that, through those studies. So I'm very, very lucky to have sort of stepped into this moment in this particular zeitgeist. I'm going to say something, and I hope I don't embarrass you, Lauren, but you are an excellent reader. I remember our session, and we did some practice readings, and I was like, holy shamoles, Lauren's a good reader. Look at this lady. So, oh, man. I know you're not like <laughs> quite on board with it, but you're really good. <laughs> you're making me blush. I actually take a lot of pride in it. I've done a few readings, and... Someone listening to this podcast who I won't name enjoyed it so much that even though I was practicing for free, he insisted on on paying me for the work. And it made me feel like, yeah, this is legit. I think I might be pretty good at this. So thank you for the compliment. <laughs> you got it. You got it. And sometimes it takes somebody doing that for you that makes you realize that what you're doing has value. It doesn't, you do it for fun. So then you think, all right, well, it's just fun. So, you know, I, I don't need to charge for this. But when you realize that something that you think is fun is really bringing a lot of value into somebody's life, it makes it easier to be like, all right, well, now you need to pay me. <laughs> this is still labor. I am an expert. Well, it is. It is ultimately. And it's a skill. And uh, it took a lot of time and effort for me to learn and to be at the level that I am. So that's worth something. That's such a great point. And, you know, Jamie's whole thing is freelance and the uh, F you pay me lifestyle. And so we are we are picking up what you're putting down. I do want to get Mario on the mic. So um, when I reached out to you and asked you about this opportunity, I had no idea if you were into anime or not. And you were like, ah, oh, my partner, my fiance is so stoked on anime. And there's this knowledge gap about feng shui that we had, and you recommended bringing Mario on. So I'd love for both of you to tell us um, why you're anime fans, how you got into Cowboy Bebop, and Mario, what is your interest in Asian cultures? Well, my interest in Asian cultures comes from anime, really. I was watching anime, anime, and I thought to myself, I need to understand some of these jokes. Yeah, he's he's the anime human in our relationship. Uh, if you came to our house and just looked in our bookcase where we have all of our DVDs, it's half anime and none of it is mine. <laughs> <laughs> when I got this opportunity, I automatically was like, Mario, you need to help me with this because I'm going to be totally lost. And when we started to watch it, um, we were talking about the feng shui that's represented in the episode. And it's a lot different than the feng shui that I'm kind of familiar with. And Mario had a lot of information that I didn't have about it. When I was watching the episode, I know that the episode gets maligned a lot, particularly because everyone has a particular way of seeing feng shui. The idea is that in the episode, you're trying to see the interplay between the characters and how they develop a relationship with each other and how they end up defining themselves as a, as a whole. So the feng shui is a metaphor for that. Um, so in the scene, kind of in the early part of the show, where uh, May is actually explaining to Jet how what feng shui is like this is the solar this is the urchi these are the energies it's kind of the establishment for what the whole episode is all about it's kind of the shorthand for jet's journey really well there's that and also um what's interesting is that 
We think of feng shui as something that happens in our homes, right? Uh, we arrange our furniture in such a way to allow energy to flow through. And something that Mario mentioned to me that was, was something I was totally unaware of is that in Asian culture, they use feng shui literally everywhere in their city planning and the way in which they uh, design their buildings. It's something that's very prevalent in Asian building design, where you have elements and styles that are used in the way of feng shui to promote energy and positivity. So buildings can be designed with certain orientation or certain shape, different configurations, you have you, in order to create that harmony or balance that they need for good feng shui. In the episode, Mefa literally goes to a certain location in order to start the journey because she says, if I'm going to start the journey, I'm going to start the journey from here. It has to be from here. And Mario pointed something out. He's such a sponge. It's lovely. So I talk astrology all the time in the house and he just kind of like sponges it up with his enormous brain that he has. Um, but he was talking about something I told him about in, in astrology in your solar return, which is kind of your birthday, it's your astrological birthday, which doesn't happen at the same time as your day and time of birth necessarily. It's when the sun comes back to the position it was when you were born. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, a couple hours before or after. Sometimes it's on the day before or after, but that's your solar birthday. It is thought that you can change the course of your year by changing your literal position at that moment, right? So if I wanted my year to be focused on a very specific part of my life, I can celebrate my birthday in Egypt. And then the chart for the rest of my year is going to be different. And I thought that that was really interesting, thinking about both the solar return chart and this episode and how they were talking about sort of feng shuiing the beginning of her journey. That's actually a really interesting concept because I hadn't really considered while watching this that feng shui is very much about location in relation to earth. And we're not on earth this entire episode. Like what does feng shui in the science fiction universe, or at least in the bebop solar system mean to our characters? And it looks like that necessarily wasn't adjusted for the course of this storyline. She certainly believes in some core principles that I think are true about real life feng shui. So feng shui, to be clear, at least started as an ancient Chinese practice. It's also known as Chinese geomancy. And it's about the placement of things, to Jamie's point, like related to the directions of earth to allow for the free flow of, of qi, of this energy. There is equivalence of feng shui in other cultures. I think in Japan, it's called kanso, maybe. I'm going to have to look that up. But it's very interesting to see, kind of like how I was fascinated by the American space program being highlighted a couple of episodes ago on a Japanese anime, that they went so heavily into an ancient Chinese tradition here. And I put in my notes, too, that Mefa's really sure about the time and the place and, you know, the direction she had to be facing to start her adventure. And this episode, like not to spoil it, goes so far as to question like whether or not she was using her free will or if these forces were moving her. I think that is a through line through a lot of different fortune-telling practices or predictive practices that I've heard of. You know, you hear like a Pisces is this sort of person or a Leo is this sort of person or we flipped this card and it means this about you. I'm really interested in hearing from you guys, like how open are you to, to that as a possibility that maybe there are already just forces guiding us forward beyond our control? And like, is that what Mefa believes? As to your question about fate versus free will, it is definitely something that people in the occult arts deal with on a regular basis, whether you are into magic with a K or astrology or tarot. It's a question of, you know, am I fated 
to do this. And if I am fated, then why am I making any sort of moves, right? What, what if I just laid still and then life just happened at me? And the way I think about it is that uh, when you do a tarot reading specifically, it is a reading of that moment that you're in, right? So usually there's one card that predicts the future and the rest of it is sort of telling you what the situation is that you're in currently and giving you like sort of this bird's eye view of it. But it's the future if you keep doing what you're doing, right? So if you get like, I don't know, the nine of pentacles, which is pretty good. It's like, you know, getting money and being successful. That's if you keep doing what you're doing. If you decide to stop doing what you're doing, nine of nine of pentacles is not guaranteed to you. Or if you get a bad card, if you get the three of swords, which is the one everybody knows is the stabbing of the heart. Nobody likes that card. (laughs) But if you get that as your outcome, right, that is not fated. That is if you keep doing what you're doing, that's where you're headed. So what do you do? You change what you're doing, right? So in that way, tarot tells you, you know, from this moment, that's what can happen next. Astrology is a little bit different. Uh, Mario and I often talk about how astrology is very much like weather prediction, except I feel like it's a, even more accurate art, maybe. I would say so. <laughs> uh, he's Puerto Rican, and in Puerto Rican culture, they would have the news, the sports, the weather, and then the astrologer who would tell you what's happening next. And not in like a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, even though... Walter Mercado was uh, <laughs> kind of the Elton John of astrology, <laughs> um, but they took it vi- they take it very very seriously. And um, I had a coworker, and she used to tell me that she liked to read her horoscope from the day before because she's like, well, then I can see if it's accurate. And I'm like, well, I get that, but if you're gonna look at the weather to see what you need to wear, do you look at yesterday's weather? <laughs> Or do you look at today's weather, right? Like you can't make it not rain, but you cannot get wet by bringing an umbrella with you. And that's what astrology is all about. You can see what kind of things are going to happen. And then you sort of gear up for that kind of thing. Even when, you know, I uh, I have Venus coming to my second house. I don't know if I told you that, but I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> but Venus coming to your second house can mean, you know, financial fortune, but you have to still sort of get in the way of that fortune to come to you. You can't just sit in your house and expect money to rain from the ceiling, right? So it's a little bit of give and take there. That's actually a really good lead in to the opening of our episode. We have our main character, Jet, who narrates the beginning of this episode and the end of it, like that of a film noir movie. It sets the tone that we will be meeting a damsel in distress and that this is a peculiar case to be solved. He receives an email from a former informant from when he was a cop back in the day, and it tells him that he can be found where the four gods meet. Cryptically, doesn't know what this is all about, ends up discovering how the email sender is actually pronounced dead, and there's a tombstone, so he's in the graveyard. And that's where he collides with Mayfa. Mayfa herself is unlike any other Bebop main character. She's bright and cheerful and positive. She shows a lot of energy and enthusiasm and confidence in her decisions. And she's a woman who isn't stuck in the now necessarily. And she's clearly being guided by the feng shui that her father had taught her. So we get the sense that this episode isn't even about the bebop at all. They're just secondary to what Mayfa's story is about. There is no bounty this episode either. But we get a big unfolding of what's happening on Mars this history with hyperspace, we're seeing this other through line of the piece of the moon that had exploded, much like how we saw in Sympathy for the Devil. And I just want to say, it's like Bebop is prepared to wind down the series by placing this episode and this storyline about Mayfa in the exact spot where it should be. Yeah, yeah. And and I think what's interesting about the episode is that it, it firmly demonstrates uh, fate versus free will, right? Because Jet has many choices along the way to like 
ditch this crazy lady and be like, yo, I'm up. It's I'm, <laughs> I'm not about this life. You know what I mean? Um, and he continually chooses to follow this destiny that um, Mepha is on. And mm-hmm. only through following it does he, uh, are the revelations possible at the end. We also get a little bit about what Jet's about. Jet would not just drop anything at the top of the hat. That's why they call him the black dog. Once he lets on something, he won't let go. So this is proof of that in this episode where he sees this whole quest go through, as crazy as it sounds. We also establish at the beginning of this episode that Jet reads horoscopes and uh, gets something out of that. And by the end, he doesn't anymore. And my favorite quote from this episode that I think contributes to flipping that is that Mepha explains fortune telling, it it predicts the future, and feng shui is active. It's like a different type of spiritual engagement that you can build your life around. And I think it, in, in terms of free will, this episode at least is trying to sell us on the idea that some forms of spirituality, some forms of mysticism can operate right alongside free will. Like you can make choices that incorporate feng shui. Feng shui is not making choices for you. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I have found in my life that I can choose moments in which I align with what might be my destiny. And I can choose moments uh, where I choose to ignore my destiny And that's free will, right? But I also find that life kind of pushes me over when I'm too far off the path, right? Things, my favorite quote from The Alchemist, I don't know if you've ever read that. He says that life conspires to put you on the path. And I've had enough wrong turns on my path to know that that is absolutely true. Um, The other thing I was thinking about with, you know, him talking about switching from allowing horoscopes to guide him to stopping reading horoscopes. And as it's something that Mario pointed out is that as you learn how the universe operates, you're able to more, I don't want to say habitually, but like naturally align yourself with it to the point where, you know, it's, it's a mastery. So you don't have to think about the tenets in order to put yourself in the path, if that makes sense. So, you know, when I started writing horoscopes, I I started to see things in motion in a very specific way. And I can now look at the daily planetary setup and I can say to myself, this is what's coming. Instead of reading a horoscope, I can just see it with my eyeballs. (laughs) So I really am loving this like emotional and uh, robust talk. What I really want to dive into though is just much more petty and it's what's the deal with Jed and Mepha's relationship. Uh, We have to get into that. It's one of the things the fandom talks about the most when dunking on this episode or celebrating it. And dub or sub, it is just a weird dynamic. Jed acts, I think, as a father figure. We see him um, being very protective, buying her ice cream, telling people not to smoke around her. But then anytime anyone implies a father-daughter relationship, everyone on the bebop like seems to prefer a more romantic read. Even Jet himself is like, I'm not that old. I could be your boyfriend. And it's so weird. How how do we all feel about this dynamic? And perhaps more importantly, how do we feel about the way the crew kind of picks on them? I'm not a huge fan of Faye and Spike's interactions in this episode. Faye and Spike are jealous of Mepha. <laughs> that is my read. Uh, they want to be fathered. They're his children. How dare this new young upstart come in and be like the pretty younger daughter? <laughs> No, but for real, this is the first time we ever get a glimpse of like Jet actually having a family setting. Like you could actually see his life beyond the bebop as a father through the relationship that Mepha is displaying here with him. And I think the age thing about 
you know, them picking on him about being that old is just an ego thing that, I mean, I'm older than Jet. I would be kind of pissed off if people implied I'm a mother when I'm not. Uh, (laughs) But at the same time, like, there is a read where he's like, older brother, Onisan. I kind of like that view better. I I think that that's a a fine dynamic to to riff on if we're going to move forward. But certainly, I think even just in a more general way, I think he's he casts himself as her protector. And even just visually, you can see that, right? Because he's physically three times as big as her and they constantly juxtapose her and him, especially when, you know, they have those little run-ins with the Yakuza. I would, I would agree that brother makes a little bit more sense. I think that the romantic relationship is implied to sort of get a rise out of him. And I think (laughs) I agree with Jamie in that the only reason he had a problem with the sort of father thing is he, cause he's like, I'm not an old man, dude. (laughs) I think that, I think that's basically it right there. He doesn't want to be thought of as old. Yeah, or older than them, I guess. But speaking of something that Jamie said a moment ago, the thing about it is it's Jet. It's what Jet's all about. Jet is the protector. He's the guy who's trying to find what's right and what's good, and he wants to make sure that what's best for his family, even if they're not his family. So it brings back home that idea of who Jet is and how he is and where he's going with his life. And it also is a tie-in for what he's been throughout the series. He's been a mentor. He's been an advisor. He's been a protector. And just the general sounding board to the rest of the crew on the Bebop. It is kind of fun knowing that that is true because I agree with you to see somebody else really lead him around. Like, Mepha, from the moment she's on screen, is projecting that she knows what she is doing and she's in the lead. There's people shooting at them. They are on a speeding bus. They're diving into the water. And eventually their journey takes them up to the top of this building, the fabled place of the four gods. And throughout the city, she sees these things like the blue dragon and um, the tortoise and is able to understand like we are here. The sunstone is here. Jet barely matters in these scenes. Jet's just kind of along for the ride and, you know, in awe and still processing, I think, what he's even doing. And they find the sunstone before he even really gets to take a breath. And just for me, it was very fun to see our father figure, our owner of the bebop, just kind of be a, be a passenger in a sidecar for a little bit. I wanted to point out really quickly that the Four Gods isn't common anime trope. Fans of Fushigi Yugi will recognize Suzaku. Uh, we also have references in Digimon, Yu Yu Hakusho, Magical Shopping Arcade Abanabashi, among others. Like This doesn't fall very far from what we got in the 90s, for example. It also slightly aligns with our syndicate names. We have the Red Dragons, the White Tigers, and we learn that the two Blues Brother characters are part of a syndicate known as the Blue Snakes. Nice connection. I did not draw the line uh, to the syndicates. That is very cool. The other really interesting part of this entire episode, especially on their chase through Mars, is the heavy use of the Mars environment that we haven't seen since the episode Stray Dog Strut, episode number two. And again, it's kind of like the show is bringing home all the elements that already laid out through other episodes between Jet using a bottle of booze to hit someone over the head and to headlock them like we saw in Asteroid Blues, in addition to the scene at the graveyard, which is a scene we haven't seen since Ballad of Fallen Angels. So it feels like there's this this framework setting the road for the final episodes that we get into coming forward. And I don't know, Lauren, do you feel that way? Do you see like sense this kind of culmination in just the environments? Or am I reading too much into that? I don't think you're reading too much into it. I think you're making some great points that Cowboy Bebop has done so much world building and it's giving itself the chance for once to live in the world that it has built. I would say for me, even though you're right, 
it raised more questions too. So Mars, for example, if Mars is this climate-controlled, like, encased place where we have controlled the weather enough that humans can live here, why are we having this, like, blisteringly hot day, this miserable day? I didn't get the impression before now that there was imperfect weather in this universe. And I guess I guess there is. Either they're not as in control of the weather as we thought, or just for like realism's sake, they sometimes just program in kind of a crappy afternoon. I also took note, kind of in the same vein, that Mepha's father allegedly died in an accident, and it was a hyperspace fluctuation on the way to Jupiter. And knowing that, like, the gate is the reason the moon is blown up and the reason Faye was, like, asleep for decades, how often do terrible gate accidents happen that kill people? This made me feel like it's way more regular than I realized. I am terrified. You will never get me into a gate. It'll never happen. I was going to say that the gate company must be very well insured. (laughs) I sure hope so. (laughs) We know they're pretty corrupt. And so I think that tracks that they're getting money, a lot of money from somewhere to cover up the fact that like even the way the ships were just like scraping against hyperspace. I was just this episode turned me off of space travel. No, thank you. (laughs) So this entire journey leads up to where Lauren last left off. Mepha discovers a sunstone in a corner shrine in the city. And she instinctively rips it out of the shrine itself. And as a viewer, I was like, wow, she's defacing public property. Great, Mepha. Good job. But the Cowboy Bebop wiki alludes that maybe Pal himself left this sunstone in this place for her to discover it. I, I agree that that's true. When he says, uh, seek the holy beast of Ansong, I think He's literally referring to this specific statue so she knows where to reach. There's a part of me, and I'm just trolling. I don't actually believe this, but there's a part of me that's like, what if it's not a sunstone and it's just a random rock that she found, but because she believes in this stuff so strongly and she's such a ambitious and just like motivated person, she makes it work anyway. And it's not the sunstone at all. I don't think that's true. I think we're just supposed to take it at face value. Like he left it in the beast's mouth. But I mean, I love fan theories. And when they say, oh, there must be a second one to sort of justify how she can find him. We never see it. What if it's all made up? But it's the stone that kind of makes the astrolabe go in a very specific way. The stone ends up ends up being like a lodestone, a directional, like... Well, it, turn, it turns into like a beacon of sorts. Right, 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 right. There is something said about the sunstones resonating from each other from the creation of them. And that they can home in on each other's energy. You got to have faith, Lauren. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah, I think Cowboy Bebop in this case just really wants me to not dig too far because you're right. The That device, the Luapan, they normally have a needle that points to the south. And there's a piece called a heaven dial that rotates in another piece called an earth plate. And its primary function is just to help a feng shui practitioner understand the exact placement and direction of objects when they're helping someone arrange their space. And so when Mepha says, I took the magnet out, it's not supposed to be spinning anymore, that represents the moment you're talking about. That's when it's no longer doing its normal pointing, and now it's doing something supernatural. It's pointing at the other sunstone. So we have the sunstone now, and Mepha's at a loss for what it does, what it's doing. And it's our intrepid little Korg, Ein, who grabs it off the table and runs it over to the device, and the device starts spinning. And all of a sudden, all these things click again for Mepha. She just has this insight and knows instinctively, like, oh, we now have a tracking beacon to where my father is. The ship goes into space. They go into a gate. We discover that the crew now doesn't know what to do again. Which is why I kind of think this episode's a little weak. There's a lot of like, what now? 
oh, this magic thing. Cool. So now the next big brain plan is to flush the sunstone into the hyperspace gate and have Spike, who's currently fending off some blue snakes drones, uh, zap it with his plasma cannon. How? This moment reminds me a lot of the beef that I had with Sympathy for the Devil. And you remember, I love Sympathy for the Devil. I fought for that episode. But the crux of Sympathy for the Devil is like, well, gosh, I sure hope they're right about this mystical theory they came up with. Because if they're not, this whole episode is effed and they're all effed. And again, Cowboy Bebop does the thing where the theory we all sort of guessed that we cobbled together with the evidence that we had, it was in fact correct. And so shooting at the Sunstone releases this tremendous amount of energy that it and it opens up a hole, I guess, in hyperspace. Someone else is going to have to explain what that space is supposed to be and why her father is stuck there. But this accident did not kill Pow. It just trapped him in this place. And coincidence of coincidences, they happened to be, again, thanks to Feng Shui and the smarts of Meifa, in the right place at the right time, shooting in the right direction to execute uh, this result. So two things here. One, Spike's a really great shot. I'm pretty certain no one could shoot a rock in a hyperspace gate floating in the middle of whatever void they're in and get it perfectly. Cool for him. But two, I also think that we have this rock that's very similar to the concept of the stone from Sympathy for the Devil, right? We have space in time that has been encapsulated into a physical object. So it it has a lot of energy that it's harnessed. And then three, we also see Pow in this void, which is very similar to Gateway Shuffle when the rockets or the missiles are enclosed in hyperspace, never allowed to interact with this plane of existence again. And it's all just culminating. Every time I want to hate this episode, I dissect it a little more and I realize why it exists. Why was it written here? Writer Sadayuki Marai, who also wrote Gateway Shuffle and Purorofu, in addition to our director, Watanabe, worked on writing this episode for a very specific reason. It made canon for a very specific reason. And all these things are coming back again. Not to say that it's a strong episode, but it belongs here. I'm also going to go out on a limb and say... This has to have influenced the upcoming Netflix Cowboy Bebop in a pretty significant way. We don't know a lot about it as of the date of this recording. Right now we're in the first week of August. But there is a character in the new Cowboy Bebop named Kimmy Black. Theoretically a daughter character to Jet. Um, it looks like we're probably giving Jet more of a family, more of a backstory. Pao in this story is divorced. Um, he apparently got so into feng shui and crime that his wife left him. And I could see the Netflix show building Jet's background, fleshing it out with concepts from episodes like this one. His relationship with Mefa as a daughter, the reason... A lot of his relationships fall apart. I think we could look at this now and do a lot of speculating. Um, I'm curious what our guests think about the live action show. If you're going to watch it, what do you think it might be like? Mario has a lot to say about this. Oh, boy. Here we go. (laughs) To be fair, I am hoping it really is good. I will watch it when it comes out on Netflix. That being said, I'm also pretty wary because there has been a lot of animes that have been brought to live action and something gets lost in translation. Now, I'm hoping that the creators of the show, uh, the live one that is, can keep the spirit of Bebop in the live action. You don't necessarily have to follow everything bit by bit, but as long as the spirit is there, that should pretty much carry it on its own. He's very skeptical. That's something that's not coming through to tie us back into astrology. He's a Libra and he is trying really hard to put a positive spin on this. I'm just going to say that right out loud. (laughs) He really is. I want to like it. I really want to like it, but. I want to like it, but dot, dot, dot is kind of the thesis statement of this entire podcast. So welcome to the family. (laughs) 
It's also the end of Mepha's discussion with her father. We have this really heartfelt conversation between Mepha and Pau, and he's implying that like he led her here. He moved all of the energy and made all the cogs happen so that Jet would bring Mepha to this point in time to say goodbye. And Jet's just not having it. Him in his protector mode clearly wants to enable Mepha's agency here and tells Pau, no, you didn't do anything. <laughs> Mepha's here because she's here of her own volition. And Mepha goes on to state, I hated you. I, I didn't understand why. And the sub says, but. But the dub says, but now I don't. And there's this weird implication that Mepha has forgiven him in the dub where it doesn't exist in the sub. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not certain that adds anything. I think it puts the story in a nice little bow, but it might not be what this story needed. Um, I'm with Jet on this one. It's, it's this like moonshot of a chance that this man ever gets to see his daughter again. And first of all, he really hurts her feelings by reaching out to his like old acquaintance Jet instead of his own daughter. And then after hurting her, she beats the odds. She finds him. She gets there. And what you call a heartfelt conversation, he spends most of that precious time like flexing how powerful he is and how right he is and how his feng shui totally rules, you guys, doesn't it? And I'm like, is this really what you want to say to her? You're literally running out of oxygen. And it's basically like he spends this time dabbing on his haters. <laughs> like, Shouldn't we think about getting you out of here? His last, his last moments are just narcissism. In my opinion. <laughs> That's a good read. I So I guess, Sarah, how many people come to you for real advice, right? They're having their horoscope or their tarot card read, and they're looking for some kind of change. But you know that when they're done, they aren't going to change the least. Like, they're just going to leave with the same ego they had intact. Oh, no, that's such a saucy question because she just spent so much time telling us that a tarot reading is what happens if you do nothing. So there are people who come in and you think they're going to do nothing. Does that happen? You don't have to name names, but I'm so excited. <laughs> More often than you think. <laughs> okay, first of all, <laughs> pump the brakes there, friend. <laughs> um, I never go into a session thinking that, you know, I try to keep a clear eye, open heart. You do. You do. With with all of my sessions, what happens sometimes, and this is actually very rare, but what happens sometimes is I get people who you know, get their read and then they call me like a week later and they're like, hey, so you said this. What does that mean, though? Is that could it mean this? And I'm like, no, no, it means what I said that it meant. And they're like, well, but could it possibly have meant not that. And I'm like, no, no, it, it meant what I said it meant. And they're like, well, is there like an option B? And I'm like, no, there's no. And those are people who I'm fairly confident did not learn anything. <laughs> but uh, my perspective is that their money is green. And if they would like to come and get another reading, I'm more than happy to repeat myself um, if that's what they need. That my job is not to judge, it is to take their money and tell them what I see rather than what they need to hear. I'm really, I don't know if proud is the word. I don't think you need to be saying I'm proud of you, but I'm heartened that you do stand by your readings and your predictions because I think it would be very easy for anyone, like I already have the money at this point. I'm, I could just make the person feel better by being like, oh, I guess it could mean that you and your girlfriend are going to get back together. It could mean, sure, whatever, if that like makes them a more quote unquote satisfied customer. But that's not what you're out here to do. That's not the service that you offer. But it's also not technically the service that they're buying, right? They're not hiring me to tell them what they want to hear. They're hiring me to tell them what I see. I wouldn't be a good astrologer if I didn't do that. Um, and you don't get repeat customers by lying to people. It's when people see how the things that I tell them come 
to fruition in their life, that's when somebody comes back as a as a customer, as a client. And I, I'm not doing anybody any favors by telling them lies. You know what I mean? I can't, I'm not going to tell you it's not going to rain tomorrow. And then you should just go out there and walk around because if you go out there and walk around and you get totally drenched, you're not going to come back to me (laughs) like that jerk (laughs) told me it wasn't going to. And that's why we're better than, than weather people, because we know if it's not going to rain. We say on this podcast a lot that these characters should go to therapy. But having seen Faye this episode, she does what Jet normally does. I, this watch through, I'm seeing all of these characters do these like really crude gender stereotypes. And Faye, she diagnoses Jet like self-righteous men in their youth end up falling for some young thing when they're older. Men are predictable. I think it would be very interesting for Faye to see an astrologer. Um not only because her past is this huge mystery, and I think that could give her some sort of clarity or at least comfort, but she sure seems to think she knows everything. And I'd like to see someone else challenge that a little bit. I think that would be a fun interaction. So while we were, after we finished watching the episode, Mario was asking me like what the character's sun signs were and having me guess. And we were discussing it. And and actually, you can check their birthdays on the Cowboy Bebop Wiki uh, for yourself if you want. But it's actually a little bit more fun to try to guess knowing their characters because their characters do kind of fall in line with their sun signs. What's more fun as as a practicing astrologer is to try to place um, other planets in their charts to sort of get at some of the nuances of their character. So for instance, Faye is August 14th, 1994, and that makes her a Leo. And I was a little surprised because as a Leo, usually uh, Leos are a little bit more glamorous, Mm -hmm. um, maybe a little bit more self-centered. I feel like you said there's some of that. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. Um, But I feel like since she doesn't talk about her past or her family too much, well, part of it is because she's trying to find out or remember what that was. Right. So in that case, I kind of stuck her Mercury in the 12th house where things are hidden. So it's possible that her Mercury is actually in watery cancer, meaning I feel like you said that she has a lot of feelings about things that kind of come out in inappropriate ways. Mm-hmm. And that would be sort of a, a watery 12th house Mercury of like, I don't really understand what I'm feeling or how that's coming out and how I'm speaking. But it's coming out. But it's coming out. <laughs> she is she is very uh, self-aggrandizing and showy in a way that I think is pretty typical of Leo. I I don't know if this is a surprise because I don't engage with astrology that much, but of my friends' sun signs, I know the most of like who are Leos because they will tell you. (laughs) It's like da 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 da. Accurate. That's really interesting because the show creators bother to give our characters Earth dates that align to Earth's calendar, but they also, in anime character design, give them blood types. Are you familiar with that practice in Japanese character design where the character has type A blood or type O and that actually determines a little bit more about how you should read their personalities? I was shocked, I tell you. Shocked. (laughs) You guys included a, a link for that in the notes that you sent me and I followed that being the curious human that I am. Uh, Jamie, I am also a Gemini, pretty heavily Mercury. So I was like, I need to learn about this. And then I was shocked and appalled. No, I mean, I got to say it it was definitely very, (laughs) it was definitely very interesting. And it led to sort of a spirited conversation between myself and Mario about the astrological humors. So in astrology, it's not the same, but it's sort of similar in that um, there's a medical practice that has to do with defining your type, whether you're cold or hot, wet or dry. Are you a person who cold goes a little slower, hot moves a little faster, 
uh, wet pulls things together, dry pulls things apart. I don't know how tangenty that is, but uh, it kind of made him think about the astrological humors and that overlap there. But I did think that it was it was pretty interesting. And we read our types. I am a, a type A. I'm type A positive. Mario is O. And actually, we're compatible. So that's good news. I definitely remember in the 90s going to Sailor Moon websites and seeing on all of the bios of the Sailor Senshi or the Sailor Scouts reading their blood type and being like, why the heck would I need to know this? Like, What's the point of telling well, me? Well, maybe this? we can be donors. We don't know. The sailors always were getting in trouble. So, aside here, the Sailor Scouts are the most violent anime characters of the 90s. They killed more enemies than any other show ever did. I have to agree with there, Jamie. I was astounded at the body count. <laughs> and, and not just creatures, sentient creatures. <laughs> People with actual oh like lives in history. <laughs> yeah. It uh, gave new meaning to the whole phrase, no Fs given. <laughs> I'm going to take a long runway into this one. But in doing research for this episode, I was looking to find feng shui experts thinking like maybe there's a person like Mayfa's dad that we can talk to. But at least in America, feng shui has been just super taken over, frankly, by cis white women. Pretty much every website, every major podcast that I could find, every local company that helps with feng shui was just white people. And I'm sure, I'm sure some of those individuals are extremely educated and extremely respectful toward ancient cultures and knowledgeable, but definitely some of them were not. Definitely some of them were just deep in the like racist mysticism. And I say all of this to ask, do we think this episode of Cowboy Bebop was a respectful like dedication to feng shui? Is this anime doing this concept justice? I would love Mario to weigh in because we had a really good conversation on that point yesterday. I would say yes. The Western version of of feng shui is we read one chapter of the book and we just stuck with interior decorating. So there is so much more to feng shui and how that affects the life of people and how they organize their lives and things. And I think the episode did a good job of showing how that actually works in shorthand. Yeah, I I had no idea um, being another cis white lady <laughs> thinking about feng shui. I had no clue that uh, feng shui was not just something you did inside of your home, um, that you, know, you could feng shui cities and you could feng shui your life and you could position yourself we talked a lot last night about positioning yourself in the environment in order to have more harmony and flow in your life. Right, right. So in in the beginning of the episode, they're in that park and there's some people doing Tai Chi and they're in a very specific location as well. So it felt like they were very much trying to be circumspect in their representation. Given that, I believe we still get the G slur in this episode, which I wasn't happy with. Oh, yeah, that's true. And he's just describing her. Right. And I know we're at this in reading this 23 years after the show's been produced. And uh, there's just different understandings of how to represent things culturally. I do think given the efforts that Cowboy Bebop has gone to, to widely represent a vast array of cultures and heritage that this is not meant to be a disrespectful view of this cultural practice and belief system. Uh, I agree with that. And all of that said, I think I've already kind of put my stake in the ground where I think this episode is going to manifest itself in the new version. Um, I don't think this is going to be a one for one. It's not a fan favorite. I I don't think they're going to literally do boogie-woogie feng shui in the reboot, but I think some of the concepts of fatherhood and maybe even the concepts of how these sci-fi characters and these planets have evolved their 
spirituality and their occult beliefs? Like, how has that all changed over time with, you know, man heading off into space? I could see that being a part of the of the lore. But I don't think we're going to do like Jet and Mefa eat ice cream in the park. Probably not. I have criticisms, just like quick fire things about this episode that I did and didn't like. I found this episode extremely quiet. That's not necessarily a like or a dislike, but I think to our discussion about intention, I think the lack of soundtrack for a lot of this one is something that they did very purposefully. I don't love the voice acting in this episode. I think Patricia Jolie is Mefa's actress. She's very famous for being a live action actress as well. She's once been the Pink Ranger. And I can see that in how she like calls out she of Earth before jumping. She's adorable. But the whole opening sequence where they're being shot at, the assassins, like everyone just feels bored. I didn't really feel the stakes there despite her great talent. And Ed, Radical Edward, um, Hot dog bun, not too young, is the creepiest thing that's ever been said in the history of Cowboy Bebop. It doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. <laughs> I hate that line. <laughs> no. I was going to mention that Mefa's voice actress seemed like a good match to the Japanese, but I feel the Japanese voice actress did the better job. There's more personality in the delivery overall of Mefa's character, in my opinion. In terms of this being... An adventure, it's there. I also think that it's kind of got the same pacing of Gateway Shuffle, for example, where we're like, okay, there's action and then there's more things, but there's just this weird calmness that doesn't need to be there, that isn't there in a typical Cowboy Bebop episode, which is probably why this episode lands so low on the spectrum of every fan's ratings. I think part of the reason a lot of people malign the episode a lot is because of the episode that comes before it. It's after Pierre LeFaux, you know, and that's an episode that's like action, action, action. And then it goes into feng shui. <laughs> so it's kind of a shift from fourth to th- first gear. And a lot of people find it very jarring. I think that's a good point, though. Pierre LeFou, it just keeps your heart racing the entire time. You spend that entire episode feeling dread and feeling fear. And maybe, you know, just like an album has songs in a certain order for a certain reason, we just really needed this cool down after seeing the horrible clown assassin get crushed. That's fair. I also think there's an aspect like we discussed in Bohemian Rhapsody where there is a mystery, right? And we already know where the mystery ends if you've watched this once before. Maybe first-time viewers still get the hype out of it. Maybe they realize, like, finding Pow is, you know, a worthwhile adventure, whereas we as previous viewers can't put the knowledge back into the box. For sure, for sure. As usual, um, we encourage people listening to this. Obviously, your quote can't get into this episode about Boogie Woogie Feng Shui, but still reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at Beat. Or write to us, bebopbeatpodcast at gmail.com, and tell us what you think of this episode. To be fair, the posts that I'm reading that are critical of it are years old, and I don't know what a 2021 watch through is doing for a lot of people. So definitely share with us what you thought. You do get that awesome line, right, I'm shooting a rock now from Spike, which I didn't expect to hear. Um, You also get in this episode, Jet killing a man? Did that happen? Did he actually, there's like some cracking of the neck when he's headlocking that one syndicate dude. And I like to think he just passed out, but he may be dead. I didn't, I didn't read that Jet killed a guy, but he, he might've killed a guy. (laughs) Okay. So before we go, we have had a wonderful time talking to our guests, Sarah Pickett and Mario Solis. Thank you so much for being here. If our listeners wanted to connect with your business, learn more about what you do, or follow either one of you online, where would you like them to go? Uh, So I am on Instagram as the Chicago Astrologer. Uh, I'm also on Facebook as Serendipity, the Chicago Astrologer. So you can find me either place. 
Uh, in both places, I'm posting daily moon horoscopes where I take a look at the position of the moon and do sort of a general horoscope for everybody. I do have a meetup group called the Chicago Astrology Esoteric Study Group, where if you're interested in taking classes, you can take a look at that. And that is both on Meetup and on Facebook. So if you want to learn more about astrology, I'm your gal. If you want a reading, I'm your gal. I do, uh, I've done a couple of Saturn return readings. So if you're getting up on your Saturn return in the middle of your Saturn return, I'm here for you. Hit me up. I also do readings for compatibility. So if you're thinking about getting married or whether or not you want to take the next step in your relationship, I can do readings to take a look at your charts and see how they're lining up. So whatever it is that you need, I, I got you. I'm here for you. She extremely thorough. You won't regret it. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook, Mario State. Mario State, the state of Mario. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We were really happy to get your perspective on this episode, given our lack of knowledge here. And I think this has been a wonderful, insightful discussion for our listeners. It's our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting us. We were very happy to be included. It was great to see you both. Next week is maybe my favorite episode of Cowboy Bebop. I hope it holds up. I love it so much. I hope I like it as much as I used to. It's Cowboy Funk. We will see you there. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Bebop Beat. If you like our show, please rate us on Apple or wherever you find your podcasts. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Bebop Beat. Our email address is bebopbeatpodcast at gmail.com. The Bebop Beat is hosted and produced by Jamie Sanchez and Lauren Fates. Our editor and associate producer is Angela Geis. Our logo and art assets are by Kat Janda. Kat Janda.